Not every day you get to think about what will be your final message to people that you so love. And as I began to think over the past couple of weeks of what I would say to you in this day, my heart was drawn to one passage. And I'm so thankful that the Lord divinely inspired a writer of Scripture to write words to a congregation that perfectly reflect the heart that I have for this congregation. When I began preaching at Hillside and, and pastoring, once you called me to be your pastor, we preached through a couple of books in our transitional period through Ruth and Jonah and others. And when I was called pastor, there was one book I knew that we would preach through, and that was the letter to the Philippians. There's a lot of things that people like about Paul, or the different versions of Paul, I should say. Some like Paul the apologist, the one who stands firmly at the Areopagus, boldly proclaiming the word of God to the great philosophers of the day. Some like Paul the missionary, willing to face immense suffering and persecution for the sake of the gospel. Some like Paul the preacher, the man who preaches immense, incredible sermons with a flow that cannot be really compared to anyone else. Second, perhaps only to the Lord Himself, who is the greatest teacher. Some like Paul the theologian. The incredible mind who is able to weave incredible concepts of Scripture and these immense realities of God and, uh, and, and, and be able to unfold them and unpack them uh, both in a very simple way, but also in ways that even make Peter himself go, I'm not sure what he's saying sometimes. People like that about Paul. The reason why Philippians has always meant so much to me is because Philippians gives me Paul the pastor. Paul was not pastoring them at the time that he wrote this letter. He had helped plant the church and get it started before moving on. But the affection that he writes to this church as he's now in home, uh, home arrest there in Rome, he writes this letter to them. There's not a single ounce of doubt in me that everything in this letter reflects a pastoral heart. And the reason why I started with this book was not only because it's a book of great joy, it's a book that has my, my life verse in it to live as Christ, because it's a book that centers on the centrality of joy in Christ, of treasuring Christ above all else. But I started with this book six years ago because I prayed God would make my heart like this. That God, if this is what a pastor's heart is supposed to be, please make mine like this. And these words that I preached through the first time that we're leading today, I preached through them, I laid out the theology of, of Paul's thanksgiving and his prayer. I, I talked about what it means and how we, we can't just rush over these opening sections and the power in each word. But as I read back through them this time, I didn't read through them and think, how can I break this text down? I read through this passage and I felt them. I felt them like I couldn't feel them six years ago. I felt them so personally, so deeply, and so powerfully as I was able to look into the window of this pastor's heart, Paul the pastor's heart for the church at Philippi. And as I read through these words, 
could not put in better words myself a window into my heart for you. My prayer in this final message of mine to you, Hillside Baptist Church, is that by examining these words of Paul this morning, that I will be able to leave you with a clear picture of the heart that I have for you, while also encouraging you to the greater work that Christ still has for you. Of not only showing you my heart for you, but to demonstrate to you the greater work that Christ still has for you. If you'd stand with me for the reading of the word this morning. We're going to be spending all of our time in these verses, these eight verses. Paul writes to the church at Philippi in this opening greeting to them. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated this morning. Sometimes... I get a bit jealous of the apostles because I say, man, you got to write it first. It's not fair. Now I have to plagiarize and, and use your words. But I can think of no better words to say to a congregation than this. The apostle Paul, writing to the church at Philippi from that house arrest there in Rome, knows that they are very worried and concerned about the future. They have sent Epaphroditus, one of their elders, perhaps their lead elder, to go and to, to bring him care and gifts of both finances and other gifts of his to help him and sustain him through this difficult time that he's going through. So moved by this, Epaphroditus literally nearly dies in the process. It's so sick trying to get there and and deal with everything that Paul is just so moved by this church. And as he thinks about them, and he prays for them, his heart is moved in incredible ways as he thinks about his time with and his love for those of the church at Philippi. There are three things that I want us to take from this look into this pastor's heart this morning. I want us to see how he feels for them. I want us to see how he encourages them. And I want, to see how, I want us to see how he prays for them. Because in each of these three things, you will see not only Paul's heart for Philippi, you will see my heart for you. And my desire for you here at Hillside Baptist Church this morning. First thing I want us to notice, how he feels for them. How he feels for them. This is seen throughout, kind of scattered throughout in verses 3 through 8. But we can kind of just follow the flow of it. Here he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. So the first thing 
he is filled with is thanksgiving. And notice what it is that brings this thanksgiving. He says, when I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. The church at Philippi begins back in Acts 16. If you remember when we preached through the, the book of Acts, we saw this miraculous, incredible, mind-blowing beginning of this church at Philippi. It opens up with there being no Jewish synagogue there. It is a, an extremely Gentile city there in Philippi. There's not enough Jewish men to actually uh, establish a synagogue there, which is where the primary place that, that Paul would begin his teaching when he would come into a city. But there wasn't any, so they go down to the river to pray. Great hymn as well. And there they come across, just so happen to come across, a group of Gentile God-fearers, these, these individuals who believe in Yahweh, uh, but are not allowed to partake in Israelite worship because of, of them not becoming full proselytes or things like that. And, and one of these women happens to be an Asian woman named Lydia, who was a, a rich seamstress. And as Paul preaches to them the gospel... She receives them and, and she herself would, would use the wealth that she had to open her home to make the very place where the church would gather at Philippi. A rich Asian seamstress. The next person we see at Philippi, the complete opposite end of the spectrum. A poor, demon-possessed slave girl. <coughs> who is being oppressed and abused by those who own her. Who use her for personal gain. Abuse her for personal gain. And through the ministry of Paul and the gospel, the power of Christ would enter in her and, and, and remove that demonic power from within her and she would be cleansed. And not turn back. And I think that's one of the reasons why they get so angry is because they know that she's been transformed. They can't reuse her for that fortune telling. This is not a case where a demon's been cast out, but, but she's just empty now. No, she's been transformed by this power. She will not go back to that, that lifestyle and thus they are angry. And so they, they have Paul and Silas thrown into jail. Where we get introduced to our third member, first founding member of the church at Philippi. As Paul and Silas are taken to the inner stocks, these stocks which were painful devices used to manipulate your body and cause uncomfort and pain, they are taken to the, the central, most inner part of the prison, which was seen as some great punishment, but God was actually using it. So that they could have greater announcement to the prisoners around them. And these powerful, mighty men of God, rather than boo-hooing or whining about their situation, begin singing praises to God. You can't stop them from gospel ministry. And as they are singing and praising, all of a sudden, this like this. This, the, the walls like Jericho come tumbling down as an earthquake comes in and brings the wall down and all of the other prisoners there begin to escape and the Philippian jailer, uh, this middle class blue collar man of duty looks to take and turn the knife on himself because he knows what will come. He sees this as I have failed my duty. I have failed my responsibility. This same jailer that had inflicted great pain and damage on Paul and Silas, we were told earlier, all of a sudden, as he goes to turn the knife on himself, when he was at his lowest, ready to give in, there's no reason for me to stay alive. There, the gospel ministry meets them as Paul says, Halt, stop what you are doing. And he goes to that Philippian jailer and he gives him the gospel. And that Philippian jailer brings him to his house. And that whole household gets saved through a confession in Christ as Lord. And they believe upon Christ. And that Philippian jailer who once inflicted damage, we're told, began to bind up the wounds of Paul and Silas. 
What a beginning of a church. But don't look at the miraculous beginning of the church. Don't you know, guys, every church that has ever popped up in any place in this world is a miracle. A miracle of God's immense grace and the reality of Christ's victory in the world. But I want you to be amazed about it. What I think that Paul was amazed about when he says, I thank God in my remembrance of you. I don't think he was just amazed about, yeah, I remember that time that the walls fell down at a prison and all my chains fell off. That's pretty cool. I remember that time we just so happened into the, the river and, and Lydia and those ladies were there. I remember that time that demon was like walking around and wouldn't leave us alone and that slave girl and Christ used us to, to bring deliverance to her. I think that was all pretty cool. That's a, that's a hard part of it. But at the end of the day, notice Paul's point of thanksgiving. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Not my remembrance of all the cool stuff Christ did. But in my remembrance of you. Because every single person at the church of Philippi was a reminder of what Christ does. A reminder of what Christ did. These people who had no business being together. A rich Asian seamstress. A poor demon-possessed slave girl now free from her bondage. A, a blue-collar Roman soldier, prison worker. Now brothers and sisters in Jesus. Only he can do that. And when I look at it, you, that's what I see. I am moved to thanksgiving because each and every one of you in this room are a glorious reality that Christ meets us where we are. And that the only business that any of us have in this room this morning, the only reason that we are who we are, is because of grace. And I'm so thankful for you. As Paul was so thankful for them, as he set his heart upon them, I, I think of all the memories of you. I think of the smiles we have shared. I think of the tears that we've shared. I think of the love that we've shared. And I wouldn't replace it for anything. This is the pastor's heart. A thanksgiving not for programs, not for stuff, not for actions, not for numbers, not for results, but a thanksgiving for you. This was the heart of his thanksgiving. He's filled with thanksgiving because of those that Christ has brought into the fold and the reality that every single one of them are a testament to the goodness and power of Jesus. Every one of you in this room are a testament to the goodness and power of Jesus. I hope you'll see each other that way as well. He was filled with thanksgiving. Secondly, he was filled with joy. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Do you see that language as well in, in, in Paul's where he's constantly using you all? You all. When I think of you all. When I, I care for you all. How I have affection for you all. He wants no one to feel excluded from this. Every one of them individually are a means of his thanksgiving and now his joy. And what brings about his joy? He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Hillside Baptist Church, whether you like it or not, will always have a preeminent place in my heart because you were my first pastor. You got to spend the first really six years of this man's life as a pastor where he's coming up here week after week thinking, God, what are you doing? I cannot believe that you would bring me to this. I cannot believe that you would call me to this because I got no business being here. And what has been true for six years will be true 60 years from now. I've got no business being here. 
But Hillside Baptist Church did something that most churches won't do. It took a church, it took a chance on a young, zealous minister who didn't have a seminary degree yet, who hadn't had years of experience, who was a street preacher at a rescue mission. Through time, you called him to be your lead pastor. And the joy that you have given me, I can never repay you for. Because of your partnership with me in the gospel. My friends, I want you to know today, there is no greater joy in this world than to be in service to the Lord. To have a front row seat to see Christ at work in the lives of people. And if you don't believe in miracles, it's because you're not serving in Christ. I just want to make that clear today. If you're having a hard time seeing miracles, or maybe you're like, I don't know if they're real, then you need to get out in people's lives. Because if you get in people's lives for Christ, they'll be everywhere. You will never doubt the miraculous power of God if you get in the lives of people. So thank you for letting me into your life. And thank you for giving me that joy. That is what Paul means by this. This joy that they, since they have come into the fold of Christ, since that time, they've been all in to Jesus. You guys have sitting persistently to hour plus long sermons through the word of God. And oftentimes probably ranting and rabbit trails. But you did it because you love Christ and you love his word. And you're long to live it out. And that makes me more joyful than you could ever imagine. Because it's always about Him. It's about His Word. It's about not hearing what men have to say, but what God has to say. Because what we need most, what Christians have always need most, what the world needs most in any of its time of struggle is a Word from God. And that Word is closed. Nothing new to offer you. Nothing novel to offer you. I have that which has been revealed unto us. And it is sufficient. And you have shown week after week by coming and growing and learning and, and, and yearning at this that His Word truly is sufficient for you. Nothing could make me more joyful than that. I think of the sacrifices that many of you have made. I think of the volunteer hours that countless of you have done behind the scenes. Just as Philippi had done for Paul, going out of their way to serve him, to do things behind the scenes, to not worry about what others were doing or trying to compare themselves for how other churches did it. They knew what God was calling them to do. And they acted in faith and they supported and they provided and they prayed for and they loved Paul. Because the ministry of the gospel is what mattered. The proclamation of the word of God is what mattered. The salvation of souls is what mattered. We don't care how other churches do it. We don't care what other people say. We care about what does Christ desire for us. And you have always followed that. And I pray that you'll follow it more. I pray that you will continue to follow it more. Not to look to the world or to the other churches to say, how are they doing it? But to look to the Word and say, how does Christ desire it? And that is how you will make my joy complete. That you will continue to follow through with living out the call that Christ has called you to, Hillside, in your great work for the gospel ministry. Not only is he filled with thanksgiving and filled with joy, he says he is filled with confidence. My favorite, one of my favorite verses, and it should be one of yours as well. Verse 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's filled with confidence. Why is he filled with confidence? Is it because the Philippians are just so great? No. 
as much as he praises them, they got problems too. They got women fighting each other in here. They got other issues. They've got a humility problem at times. They're not perfect. So his confidence doesn't lie in their perfection. His confidence lies in Christ's perfection. And he has seen God at work in them. He has seen Christ at work in them. And therefore, his confidence is, because I know Christ is here, because I know He is among you, I am certain that He's going to finish the work He started here. And that's how I feel today. Christ is here. Christ is among you and Christ is within you, dear believers. And because He is at work in you, and I've seen it, I have seen your lives changed. I have seen your hearts transformed. I have seen your desire for His Word. I have seen your hunger for His mission more and more grow. And because He is at work in you, I know He will bring it unto completion. I'm confident in it. It's just getting started, church. I am confident in this. I am confident in you, not because of how great you are. You are wonderful, but you're not perfect. And you're not that, you're not that great, but the one in you is. The one that is you is in you is, right? And that's why I'm so thankful that you picked me, a very imperfect kind of rap, you know, rambler. Um, this, you know, just this idea of just one who just loves Jesus, man. It's got a lot of things to work out, a lot of things to figure out, a lot of areas to grow. But the single point that has sustained me week after week, that has sustained Hillside for the last 50 years is this. God who is at work in you will bring it under completion. He will. I hope you believe that today. He will. Bring it to completion. And he is more than at work in you already. And then lastly, we see that he is filled with love. Verse 7 and 8, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of of Christ Jesus. There is a journey that we take together in life. And those journeys that we walk through and those who are by, by our side in those journeys can never be taken. I am far from perfect and I have made countless uh, foolish things out of ignorance. Just not knowing. Just being young and learning and growing as to what God's calling you to as a pastor. Learning through those things. You find yourselves in predicaments and things that I promise you, seminary does not prepare you for any of this. It's a life lesson of being thrown in the fire and daily depending on Christ and walking in faith. But the reality of it is, is you have been the greatest partners that I could ask for in the beginning of this ministry. And I have no idea. I really don't. I have no idea what God's going to do next. But I have one thing I am certain of. I will always love you. I will always love you. You have been the greatest means of affection to me. And regardless of anything else or whatever else has happened or whatever else ever may happen, one thing of I am certain of is that my affection for you all will never dim or never burn out. Here Paul has been imprisoned and he's dealt with lots of things and, and gone through countless struggles. And I haven't been imprisoned for the gospel, at least not yet. So I can't, can't go to that level. He's got me up there for sure. But we've, had our, we've gone through a few things too. COVID wasn't easy. Some of you mad at me and some of you loving me, depending on the decisions that were made. I remember Freddie and I on 2020, um, right before an Easter service out in the parking lot, trying to unclog toilets that were overflowing in the bottom everywhere. 
things seminary doesn't prepare you for. I remember being out preaching on platforms that we made out of wood as the snow fell. And you all thought you were going to get a shorter sermon. No way, man. Not when you feel the heat of Christ. We've gone through a lot together. And our journeys that have been intertwined into this glorious path called gospel ministry. Each of you I've had some time to speak with personally over the time we've had together. To know you individually, to know your hearts. For those of you that maybe I didn't get as close as I could with others and have had with others because of just time or things like that. Please know that this love is no less for you. You are all my brothers and sisters. You are all my friends. You are all fellow sheep in the flock of Christ. And I yearn with you for the, with the greatest affection in Christ Jesus. Because the one thing pastoring helps you do is it helps you see people the way that Christ does. And oh, that you would have the eyes to see the way he does. And the heart to feel the way he does. Because it's made me soft, man. I cry at everything now. It's just because I'm so, I just love you guys, man. And I'm not being eloquent or anything this morning just because I want this to be very personal. I love you. And I yearn with you with the greatest affection. And I will continue to yearn for you with the greatest love and affection. That will never dim, never be put out, never be extinguished. Our separation in this season, as we move towards the path that God calls us in this, this journey of life, just like Paul was not with the Philippians anymore, that affection had not dimmed in the least. And my affection for you will not dim in the least because of the journey in the gospel we have together and because of the love of Christ that we share together. This is how he feels about them. This is how this pastor feels about them and that's how this pastor feels about you. I am filled with thanksgiving. I am filled with joy. I am filled with confidence. And I am filled with love for you all. And that is what I want you to know today. And, but I want to put this at the beginning because it's not the main thing. I just want you to know that. I wanted you to hear that this morning from me. That I, I cannot thank God enough for this incredible, gracious, unbelievable privilege that I have gotten to serve and love and know you. I am so joyful that I've gotten the opportunity to week after week come in here like a kid who's ready to show you his new toy and tell you about what I found in God's Word. And I pray that it blessed you. I, I'm so confident that the God that I have seen at work here is going to complete what He started. That He's going to do even greater than He has already in the future of Hillside. And I want you to know I'm filled with love. Oh, how I'm filled with love for you. That will never change. But I now want to shift to the, to the future. To the focus ahead. I love you. I'm thankful for you. I'm joyful because of you. And I'm confident in the Christ who is at work in you. But now I want to encourage you. And I want to pray for you. As Paul does here. And so uh, now we, we saw how he feels for the church at Philippi. I want you to see now how he encourages them. How he encourages them to continue forward. Remember, they are concerned. What's going to happen if Paul dies? What's going to happen if he takes away? What's, if, he, if he gets pulled away to heaven, is called away to Christ, and we're left without him, and we're left without his, his influence. What are we going to do? What is to become of the church? And so now he turns to encourage them and to pray for them so that they will see that the greater work is not behind them, it's before them. It's not behind them, it's before them. And so he does a few things in these same passages of verses 3 through 8 to encourage them. I want you to see how he encourages them here. He does three things. Paul encourages the church at Philippi by reminding them who they are, 
by reminding them whose they are and reminding them why they are. Who they are, whose they are, and why they are. Notice first, he notes who they are. He says here in verse 5 that they are partners in the gospel. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. One thing that we have turned on its head in the American church is that church has become a performance. Church has become a production where you have paid ministers, paid band members, paid servants, paid teachers. There's nothing wrong with paying them, but what happens is, is we then come as a spectator to behold a performance and then walk away judging, critiquing that performance hoping that it stirred us enough to give it a, a silent golfer clap, move on, tell the pastor, great job for stirring me in my seat. I won't do anything on Monday about it, but I'll come back next Sunday and hope that you can meet up to that same standard. That's what most of the church has become today. But Paul wants to make clear, they are not mere spectators in what God's doing through Paul. They themselves are partners in the gospel. They themselves are doing the work of the ministry. And that's precisely what Paul said in Ephesians. Right? What's your church in Ephesus? He says that God gave the church, Christ gave the church, pastors and teachers to equip or to edify the saints for the work of the ministry. You're being equipped and edified every Sunday filled up in both the food of the word and the fellowship of the saints that you might go out and expand the kingdom of Christ by gathering those from the world into his light. You do the work of the ministry. You are saints of Christ. You are partners in the gospel. You are a part of the greatest work of human history. The proclamation of Christ and the good news of salvation to sinners. My friends, you have the greatest work. How can you feel meaningless today? How can you feel purposeless? How can you feel like you are not special? You have the greatest work ever given to man to go make Christ known to the world. And whatever sphere of influence that God's called you to, that's your call. Make much of Him right where you're at. To whomever He brings in your life, you are a partner in this ministry. And you are as much special, maybe even more so, than I will ever be in the kingdom. You are partners in the gospel work. That is your encouragement. You are partners you're not just spectators. You're not just helping me do the gospel work, Paul says. You are partners in it. You are workers of it. Co-workers. Co-laborers in the field of Christ. Oh, my friends, will you, part, will you take up that mantle? Will you take up that identity? To be reminded of who you are. You are partners in the gospel. We're co-workers together in this. Co-labors in the kingdom. For the kingdom. We are workers of the king. What a great, great gift. And a glorious calling. And it is yours today in Christ. Remember who you are. You are partners of the gospel. And it doesn't matter who God ever puts here, brings here, keeps here. Up in this pulpit. You're the ones who are going to continue to advance the gospel. You're the ones that are going to continue to reach this community. You're the ones that are going to continue to make much of the kingdom right where you are and because of who you are in Him. You're the reason why there's been any hope, any light, any success, any salvation. It is because of Christ who's at work in you, using you as vessels and instruments for His glory. You're the reason because He's the reason in you. Don't forget who you are. You belong to Christ and He has used you and using you and will continue to use you as a fortified weapon 
for his kingdom conquest. But I can tell you that gets scary, doesn't it? It can be scary to think, I don't know, I'm not that smart, Blake, and I don't feel good enough, and I don't feel like I'll be able to, to articulate it well, and I don't know about my life because I still struggle a lot with things, and I'm concerned that, that maybe I'll stumble again, and, and I've had moments of weakness, and, and I don't want to invest in people's lives because I'm so afraid I'm going to let them down. I hear that. Trust me, I hear it. And I hear it because I felt it. I don't want to invest because I don't want to let people down. But hear me, dear friend. Paul now adds two more encouragements to help them go and do that work in the gospel. The first thing he reminds them of is whose they are. He says you are preserved of God. Verse 6 again, right? That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. It can be greatly discouraging to think I'm not enough and I can't do it. And maybe I'll let people down and maybe I'll fall short. Guess what? You will. But he won't. And being a partner in the gospel isn't giving people more of you. It's giving people more of him. He will never fail them. Just as he will never fail you. Being a partner in the gospel doesn't mean I get to just make it about me and oh, it's all going to be on me and man, there's so much pressure on me. That's what I, I have fallen into that trap and it's deadly and it's dangerous. No, being a partner in the gospel is the greatest news because I know he's going to preserve me in it and sustain me in it. And I am a living, walking testimony of that. Each week that I've stood before you is for one reason only. Christ is sufficiently sustaining me through whatever I needed to get through that week. And he will continue to do that for each one of you who are partners in the gospel. Israel and the book of Deuteronomy are mourning because Moses has died. They have yet to enter the promised land. They've walked through the wilderness together. They have seen the power of God together. But they are mourning and weeping because why? Our leader's dead. How are we ever going to get to the other side? What's going to happen now that Moses is gone? So in the beginning of Joshua, the Lord comes to Joshua. And the first thing he says to Joshua is, Joshua, my servant Moses is dead. Now you arise and you take my people across the Jordan into the land that I have given them. Why say that at the beginning? No, duh, he's dead. We've been mourning for 40 days over his death. It's because God wanted to make clear to Joshua and to all of Israel, Joshua, Moses is not the reason you're going to enter the promised land. Moses is not the reason you got out of Egypt. Moses is not the reason you were sustained in the wilderness. I'm the reason. Amen. Yahweh, I am. I am the reason. Moses was my servant. But it was always my power. And it will be my power that gets you over the Jordan into the promised land. My friend... It is not about who your pastor is. It's about who your king is. And Christ is your king. And every good thing that you have experienced or seen here at Hillside had nothing to do with me or any other pastor. It had everything to do with him. He is the reason that you have been sustained to this point. And he will be the reason for the greater victories that still lie ahead of you. He's the reason. You are preserved of God as you go out as partners in the gospel. And one final thing to give them an encouragement. He says you are partners in the gospel. You are preserved of God. Who you are, whose you are. And then he reminds them finally why you are. You are partakers of grace. He says this there down at verse um, seven. He says, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. You know why I'm in this pulpit this morning? Grace. You know why you're in that chair this morning? Grace. You know why you'll be carried to glory? Grace. It's all grace. 
And if he who did not spare his own son for you in infinite grace, how much more will he give you all things? You need not fret nor worry this morning. My God is all sufficient, all perfect, and he will supply all your needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. You are partakers of his grace. So you need not fear the work that's ahead. You need not be feared of your own inadequacies or insecurities about what you can or can't do. You are preserved of God and you are partakers of His grace, meaning you will be sufficiently given everything you need to do exactly what He calls you to moving forward. Oh, what an encouragement this morning. Paul is wanting to make sure and absolutely clear to the church of Philippi, it doesn't matter what happens to me. You're taken care of. And you're going to continue to do a great work for the gospel. Why? Because you'll be preserved of God and you are partakers of His grace. And what was true of them is true for you, Hillside. The Lord's servant, Blake Hart, will leave. But you need to rise up and go and keep moving towards the promised land. Because my God will get you there. You are His. And He will carry you every step of the way. Just as He has carried me and every other man who stood in this pulpit every step of the way. This is His encouragement to them. And one final means of encouragement that He leaves is a prayer. He prays for them. He prays for them. And I want us to see that prayer this morning, verse 9 through 11, as we bring, start bringing this message to a close. This wonderful prayer. He says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. Five things he prays for here that the church will have as they continue forward in the calling that Christ has for them. First, he prays, he prays that they will abound more and more in love. In love. That's what the church needs most. I said this last week. The world doesn't need a new definition of love. It needs a better demonstration of it. And we are the call of that. We are the ones who've been given the love of Christ, that supernatural love that can only come from Him, that can't be conjured up within by men, that can only come directly from God, reflects the nature of God, and the world says, what is this strange love that marks you strange people? That's what I hope happens here. I hope the love here is so abounding and so contagious that it becomes such a beaming light in Anchorage that people are flocked here and drawn here and that how they are received is by nothing more than open arms of love. I hope your love abounds not just for Christ but for each other. I want you to know today you can never love each other enough in the church of Christ. You can never stop growing in your love for each other in the church of Christ. And we can so easily get pulled into petty things. Things that have no weight when it comes to eternity. Drawn into foolish squabbles and, and things that I'm not saying are not important, but in the, in, the, in the weight of eternity are nothing. They are light as a feather. And we let them get in the way and distract us from the greatest truth of all. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And our love ought to abound more than anything else in this world. If you want people to come and to grow and to be moved and to, to have that to go out to them, it's got to begin with love. Love is what will compel you to the lost. Love is what will draw you to Christ. Love is what will, will, will reinforce like glue your relationships together. Love is the supreme mark of the Christian life. And I pray as Paul prayed that it will abound more and more at Hillside Baptist Church. This is one area you can't get enough of. You can't do too much of. It's to love. And in order for this abounding love to happen, 
Notice his next prayer. He prays that they will abound in knowledge and depth of insight. He wants their love to abound through a growing, abounding, abounding knowledge and depth of insight. That's really important. Because it allows me to explain to you why I have chosen the style that I believe God calls fit according to his word to preach the way that I do. Verse by verse through the scriptures, right? My goal has never ever been so that Hillside Baptist Church can be the smartest church in Anchorage. That it can be the most theologically astute church in Anchorage. The reason why we preach verse by verse, the reason why we elevate your minds to the doctrines of God, the reason why we seek to inform you on the realities of what God's been doing throughout church history, the reason why we have laid out so that you can know these great terms and and understand what they mean and, and why God's given them to us is for one single purpose, that you might be more like Christ. That you might love God more and love people more. And if the Word of God's not helping you do that, you're not reading it right. If you're not studying it to abound more in love, if you're not seeking knowledge and depth of insight that moves you to greater Christ-likeness, to greater love like Christ, then you're messing it up. And you probably need to stop reading so much. You probably need to get away from the the books and all of the, the doctrines if it's not causing you to love more. If the Bible's just becoming a textbook... You need to get your heart reoriented. We read and we study and we learn so that we can love like Christ. So that we can live like Christ. So that Christ can be so manifest in us that the world can only look at us and say, don't you see Jesus in them? I'll give you an example of this in Philippians 2, the very next chapter over. Paul uses and describes one of the most profound Christological statements in all of the Bible in Philippians 2, 5-11. Where Christ, being in the form of God, did not count equality a thing with, with God to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a servant, being obedient even unto death, unto the cross, and therefore through His obedience has been exalted, given the name above every name, so that every knee will bow and tongue confess that Christ is Lord. That's an incredible theological statement. And you know why Christ, you know why Paul gave it to him? So that as this mind is in Christ, have this mind among you. That you might be of the same mind and spirit together. That your humility may mark the humility of Christ amongst one another. All of that depth of insight, all of that theological profundity was given as an example so that the church would love each other better. Do you see it? Don't do theology for theology's sake. Don't just want a preacher who will come up here and fill your head but not challenge your heart. Don't read the Bible and study it just so that you can go win arguments online. Study it so that Christ will be made manifest in you. That His love we may manifest in you. And if I have at any time come off or made myself or you have felt like this was all about a cognitive game of growing our brains and not moving our hearts, forgive me. Because the only reason that I have ever done this is so that you would be moved to greater Christ-likeness. Because that's all that matters. Read so that Christ would be manifest in you. He then goes on to say that he hopes they abound in discernment, right? That they can discern right and wrong what is excellent. That they may be pure and blameless. So he, he hopes they abound in discernment and in holiness, right? This is the game. We live in a very, very confused time. And what the church does not need in this time is a lack of clarity. It needs very clear what what God's Word says about things. And you will have to stand for that. What the church will need for for the years to come is it will need a backbone. And it will need discernment. 
To stand firm on what is right and what is true, no matter the cost. And the greatest way to stand on truth is to live it out, which is what he means by being pure and blameless. Holiness is how we express the truth of Christ and make it actually have something to stick on. Right? We make it stick when we live out and practice what we preach. We can't talk about perverted views of marriage when we don't champion God's view of marriage in the church. When we don't fill and manifest our homes with godliness. We can't talk about these, all these other things that are wrong. And they may be. And that we may have exact reason and precedence and verse to say they are wrong. But what are we doing in response? Are we just saying it's bad? Or are we saying that's bad and then following it up with immense acts of humble, emptying love and service that gives people no other option but to do right? Discernment and holiness is what will mark the church of Christ apart in the world that is coming and will continue to cause us to be the bastion of what we have always been. We were the reason for all of the things that we so love and champion as a world today. Medicine, human rights, inalienable rights. That doesn't exist without a Christian worldview. Humanity, humanitarian aid, benevolence, care, all of this flows because of Christians who stood bold on the truth of God and lived lives of holiness towards the glory of God for all things. And lastly, he prays that they will abound in the fruit of righteousness in Christ. My friends, we are called to live fruitful lives. The fruits of the Spirit will flow through us and out us that others might see the fruit of our life and partake of them and taste within them the sweetness that comes from Christ alone. The sweet nectar of a perfect Savior. Let that fruit be manifest in our life. Live for greater fruitfulness. Long that these things, wherever, when you read through those fruits of the Spirit, whatever you feel is lacking, pray, God, help me abound here. Prune whatever needs to be removed and then be ready. Be ready. Because pruning hurts. But if, if, if it will help me abound more in fruit, then it's got to go. So pray that you will prune whatever that is and that you will abound more in fruitfulness. That's my prayer for you, Hillside. And my prayer for you as you abound in love, as you abound in knowledge and depth of insight, that as you abound in discernment and holiness, and as you abound in these great realities of the fruit of the righteousness which comes in Christ, my prayer is that God will be glorified amongst you. That God will be praised because of what is happening here. The North Star that directs the Christian life is the goal of God's glory. Everything we do is directed to that end. That He gets glorified. That He gets made much of. So my friends, let that be the reason that you live today. Paul would make very clear, what does a life look like that's lived to the glory of God? That abounds in love, abounds in depth of insight, abounds in discernment, abounds in holiness, abounds in fruits of righteousness. What does that life look like? If you just trace your finger down Philippians 1 to verse 21, you'll see what it is. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What is the life you are called to, Christian, to live as Christ. Everything about me is oriented towards Him. It's to make much of Him. He is the greatest treasure and the greatest reason for my being. So, how will Hillside continue to be the amazing church that it is? How will it accomplish the greater work that still lies ahead of it? How is he going to use this church to move this city? My prayer to move it to revival, to move it to many, to come to him, that, that many souls would be gathered into the flock of Christ, plucked out of the gates of darkness. My prayer, the only way that's going to happen is that this single banner fly over Hillside's heart for all its days. 
to live as Christ. To live as Christ. Let that be forever tattooed upon your heart. Let that forever be your song. Let that forever be your motto, your vision. To build your life upon Christ. Knowing that He preserves you and that He is partakers of you. Paul, visiting with the Ephesian elders on his way to Jerusalem, believing he would go to die, says these words of which I say to you today. These words that he would close them with and I close over with you. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Christ has an immense inheritance for you, dear saints of Hillside Baptist Church. And he has a great work for you. You are not leaderless here. You are not hopeless. You are not falling apart. You're not breaking at the seams. You've been given everything you need with each other to move forward in immense faithfulness to Christ. And I cannot wait to see what he does with you. And so, being the romantic that I am, I wrote a poem. And I wrote this poem to you. Words are not sufficient to say how I feel. But I hope these words can give just a small fraction of it. Thanksgiving like no other, a joy deep and true, is the experience of this pastor in knowing each of you. I stand here all amazed at just how far we've come and how you've all been equipped for the work still to be done. In our weekly gatherings, a window of heaven on this earth, I have come to see Christ's church in all its infinite worth. Church is not about the performance, a production without fail or flaw. Church is about the love and grace of Christ flourishing amongst us all. It's about redeemed sinners who from various walks have come, yet in Christ are made united in mind and spirit as one. So continue on in faith with His Word as your guide and let Hillside be a place where Christ's love always resides. And now as I depart, my final word to say is that with Christ as your head, it will all be okay. Like stars in the night, Continue to shine, guiding others to peace in Christ's perfect light. Farewell, dear church. In his love do abide. For as long as Christ reigns, his mission here will thrive. This is my heart for you. This is my encouragement to you. God is so at work among you, Hillside. You have so much to look ahead to. Because I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the gift of not only your saving grace, but of a loving family a family that you have brought us into, a family that you have sustained us by, a family that you protect us from not only the enemy, but also from ourselves. Those who are, can be accountable for us, who pray for us, who serve one another and love one another in a way that shows the world that there, there can be peace. There can be goodness. There can be love. But it's found alone in Jesus. God, I pray today that, it, that you've helped Hillside not only know my love for them, but ultimately to know of the great work that still lies ahead of them. And the fact that, Lord, more, as much as I love them, you will always love them greater. And as much as I have, have sought to, to, to care for them, you will care for them better. You are the good shepherd. 
You are the head of the church. You are the leader. You are the preeminent caretaker of your flock and your body. And because of that, we never have to worry. We never have to fear. So God, I just pray, Lord, we thank you for your word of encouragement this morning from the word. We thank you that you have allowed us to be partners in the gospel. We are so thankful to know that we are preserved by you. We are so thankful to know that we are partakers of grace. And Lord, I pray over Hillside that you would fill them with an immense and mighty spirit. That they would be moved to incredible outreach. That they would be moved to incredible love. That the culture here would be so immensely Christ-like that everyone who walks through those doors or who meets them out in the community says, I never felt anything like it. That they are drawn to Jesus through these instruments through these vessels that you filled with your spirit, that you have made temples of the God, that they would be your hands and feet to this community. That they would draw near to each other. That they would support one another. That they would cling to one another just as you cling to us. And let them be a window of heaven, a foreshadow of glory divine, so that others might taste of its sweetness. And long for the only way to have it forever. And that is in Christ Jesus, our King. Oh Lord, I thank you and I praise you. You are so good. You sustain us. You uphold us. And it's all about you, Jesus. Build our life upon you. You who are the name above every name. You who are worthy above all things. Build our life. Build this church upon you. For upon this rock, the gates of hell will not prevail. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.